Alright, welcome everybody to another episode of Something for the People. I'm your host, B. Smooth, and today my guest is the illustrious author, educator, man of the people, Mr. <laughs> Raymond Smith. Ray, how you doing? I'm great. Great. Beautiful weather. Just feel good today. Alright, alright, man. Alright, so we can always get started. I always ask people, you know, where, where did you grow up and what was it like growing up? So I grew up in Calumet Park, uh, 128th and Troop. People considered it the suburbs, but it wasn't really like the the element was there. All the elements from the inner city were all there, and I'm just proud to say I escaped it. I was the oldest of four, so I always had a sense of responsibility to take care of my siblings and just be a good example, and that kind of kept me on a straight, narrow path. Um, I always believed uh, what what the older people told me about. You know, going to college and being positive and successful, and luckily it all came true. So, one thing I always kind of talk to kids about is, is one day there there'll be a time where everything everybody's ever said to you will click, and you don't want to have four kids, you don't want to be a felon, you don't want to have something that's going to hold you back from really pursuing your dreams and yourself. Um, when that when that time comes that you realize but uh, I think I'm getting off topic but uh, yeah I grew up on the oldest of four I grew up in the 80s uh, in Cal Park uh, come from a big family um, a nice tight well-knit family a lot of us stay uh, still in contact we meet at our kids birthday parties and just still have a good time so what was your relationship like with your parents growing up uh, my father my father wasn't around he was in and out as a child, my mother, we had a really strong relationship. Um, as the oldest, she always looked to me to make sure I was doing things um, around the house and with my siblings to kind of keep them in line. For example, uh, when we came home from school, I would have to cook them something and make sure they took their clothes off, their school clothes off, and went outside and just watched them just kind of be the leader in the household. So did you see yourself naturally like becoming a leader? Like you, you know, I assume I'm, I'm the oldest, so I gotta do this. Pretty much, and I always felt like I always realized that it was somebody watching me. So I kind of live like that now, even though I'm not perfect by any any means. But I just always remember there being eyes on me, no matter if I was doing something positive or negative. I have a younger brother. That's about a year and a half under me, and he was just always right there watching me. We always talked. Uh, we we really helped uh, raise each other, uh, not having a father figure in our lives. So, uh, what was it like, like interacting in your neighborhood in Calumet Park? Like, what, what was like, it like? Yeah, that's like with other people, with other you know peers around your age. You know, what was it like? Yeah. Um, I mean, it was fun. Like as a as a kid, I couldn't really go anywhere. My mother. I guess because I was the oldest, she wasn't used to raising kids yet, so I had to just stay in the backyard. And there was about two houses down, there was this gate, and we couldn't go past that gate on one end and the corner on the other end. And I was the third house from the corner, so my range of motion was really um, small. And I could remember being in high school, and I was probably like a sophomore, and there was a carnival. And I used to have to lie about what I had to do so that I would be able to leave my friends in peace. So I would say stuff like I had to go home to babysit 
but I was lying. I really just had to be home at like eight o'clock. So you, so you want to know? It's like, oh, oh, the light, light's coming on. I gotta go. Yeah, pretty much, <laughs> pretty much. All right, yeah. So uh, you you mentioned like you know people were always like emphasizing education in you. Like how how did that uh, help you growing up? Like having that <clears throat> that emphasis on education. Um, honestly, I don't I don't really too much remember a, a lot of the emphasis. Now that I think about it, I think as I got to high school is when the emphasis came. But I could remember being like my mother would tell me stories about like how I learned how to read when I was three. And I can remember being in third grade and always finishing my work early and the teacher would be like, go to the back of the class and get a book. And I just used to, f I found a book that I liked and it just made me always want to read after that. And from there, I just started getting inspired by the lives of like, cause you know, Martin Luther King was big on education. And just reading about how he went to college at 15. Um, he was one of the earliest people that I remember reading about him and John F. Kennedy and their lives really just inspired me to go towards education. So just as I went through um, elementary school, it was a group of us that really, even even though it was kind of chaotic in our classrooms and around us, we always kind of was like, I bet you I get a higher grade than you on this. And we really just challenged each other and competed. Even I, don't, I didn't even get it at the time, but that's what we were doing. What really opened my eyes, though, is uh, I was a part of this group that went to Northwestern University, and it was the first time I had seen a college campus. And from there, I was just like, I'm just going to college. And I can remember seeing a Pizza Hut in the in the cafeteria, and that was like <laughs> my favorite restaurant. That was eating out to me. And seeing a Pizza Hut just made me want to go to college. And so, the yeah, I got, I, they got Pizza Hut there, so that's the place I need to be. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't quite uh, eligible to go to Northwestern when the time came, but I tried though. Yeah. Alright, so uh, you mentioned uh, like elementary school. So, like, were there any teachers that inspired you, or like, because you mentioned in third grade they said you finished your work and go read a book. Any other uh, teachers you remember growing up that you know, inspired you? That's like, yeah, keep reading, keep doing this, keep doing that. Um, no, not really. I, I had a, a, a black male teacher in seventh grade. And I could remember him saying, you should be a teacher. And I remember thinking, like, man, no way. Like, well, what be happening in my classes to y'all? I would, I would never put myself through that. But um, I ended up, ended up right in, falling right into it. But back then, he, he, uh, his name was Mr. Fisher. He was inspiring. But um, we kind of lost touch after that. So it was, it was inspiring for that moment. But... It didn't last, that inspiration didn't last long as coming from him. Yeah, so we, so it's around the time you went to high school, so this was like uh, mid, late 90s? Yeah, like so 96. 96. So what, uh, what, what high school did you go to? I'm not familiar with. I'm with Shepard. Shepard. Went to Shepard. Yeah, Shepard yeah. is funny because uh, Calumet Park is, it's like, it's like three different sections. It's like a part of us that go to Shepard, a part of us go to Richards, and a part of us that go to Eisenhower. So depending on your address, you went to either Shepherd, Eisenhower, or Richards. Okay. So what was it like uh, going to high school at Shepherd? Like it's '96, so this was like, you know, still wild '90s. Yeah. You know, Jordan was still running the NBA. So yeah. What was it like? High High school was really fun for me. Um, high school, that's when, cause you know I come from this this all black community, 
and now I'm going to school with all nationalities, uh, mainly whites, but it was uh, Mexicans, uh, Arabians, uh, Asians. It was just a nice mix. So it, I think it really prepared me for society and going to college and just interacting with people from all walks of life. Uh, I could remember being a freshman and I had a kid in play hat top fade. And I remember some white girls asking, could they touch my hair? Because they never touched hair. And, and, yeah. yeah. So. Now, now speaking of that, you know, now, you, now you have dread. So do people, like, people still come up to you wanting to touch your hair? All the time. Because I'm thinking, I'm state, there are people I know with dreads. I'm like, yeah, people always want to touch my hair. Yeah. Right. Yeah, they do. I be in, in Pete's. They be like, oh, can I touch your hair? Just, I, I, as kindly as I can, I'll say no. And um, what was it? it was something else about the hair. Can't remember what I was gonna say, but yeah. outside, but break you up, you trade it out. Yeah. So like, mention some most one of the things that like you remember from uh, being at Shepherd. Being at Shepherd. Well, um, like I said earlier, my um, I couldn't really go off the block much. So we had a basketball rim in our backyard. So me and my brother brother would just play ball all day. Our friends could come over to our house and couldn't go to theirs. So we would just play ball all day. So I kind of parlayed that into becoming a really successful athlete in high school. Um, I was always starting, and I was always the captain of any team I was on. And I don't know, my coaches just saw that leadership aspect that we were referring to earlier. But uh, high school was really fun. Um, just had a really good time. Got to hang out with a lot of different people and never had any negative situations uh, it was just great i had some really good friends we still friends to this day um got my first job first real girlfriend all that stuff was well, there what was your first job first job was at pet smart my what? first official job i uh i did sweep the barber shop every friday yeah. in my neighborhood but that wasn't the real job to me the first real job was pet smart right, so what was that like because i'm I got, I have, I got to be honest, I got an apprehensive with, like, animals, because every time I walk oh, yeah. past dogs, they bark at me, and they come at me, and, you know, cats are just playing me, so, yeah. <laughs> I was, like, we're going to have pet smart, because I'll probably be, only I can work best with is the fish, because well, I know it's, they ain't going to actually, that to me. <laughs> yeah, but, there's some sharks, there's some piranhas that'll yeah. get, get at you, get at your hands if you yeah. put them in there too far, but, uh, it's a nice, inspiring story behind that, uh, I remember a friend of mine, my best friend, his name was, his name, Bam, and he was out of town and it was spring break of my junior year and just all throughout my childhood i would ask my mother for something she would say get a job i can't afford that get a job i remember i asked could i get my ear pierced she said when you get a job you can get your ear pierced like everything was get a job so i just got tired of hearing that and basketball season had just ended so I was like, hey, I called my my best friend up. I was like, hey, let's go get some jobs. I need some money. Like, I'm, I'm sick of asking people for stuff, uh, going and mowing these lawns here and there. I, w I really want to just go find a job. I'm 16 now. So he was like, cool. So we put on polos and khakis, and we went to the Crestwood Shopping Center. And we went in Best Buy. We went in a couple other places, but PetSmart hired us on the spot. Like, And they were like, you're not supposed to come in here with your friends. And it was like, but it's we here and they ended up hiring us and it was cool i didn't i didn't really like pets either but i learned it because you know 
we had to get crickets a lot. I, it was a lot of stuff I didn't like about the job, but well, it was well, fun. What do people need crickets for? What are, what are Feed their lizards. Oh. Yeah, it's other things. Uh, it's all kind of things that eat crickets. That's one of the most popular things. Oh, okay. Fish and crickets. Sound like a meal. No, no, because there would be times where if somebody would want a rat or a hamster, and I would just be like. Like, hey, help yourself. Yeah, like here's the box if you want to get it yourself. And usually, people that like come in for animals, they want to pick it. So that was fun. The thing I hated the most about PetSmart, though, is if you, when people would have you get the birds, because it would be like 30 birds in this one small space, and they would want a specific one, and like you would spend five minutes trying to catch it, and sometimes it wasn't the bird. And they'd be like, oh, this wasn't it. I wanted the one with the black tail. And you're like, oh. But he looked good, too. Was yeah, nah. They wanted the specific bird. So, yeah. A lot of funny stories with birds at Pestmark. All right. All right. Going back to uh, being a high school, being an athlete, how many sports did you play? Because I mentioned, now you mentioned just mentioned basketball. Did you play any other sports? Well, I, I ran cross country okay. to uh, just to get in shape get for shape my up. freshman year. Yeah. Um, but I didn't really like it because those I didn't I thought cross country was track I didn't know the difference so I'm, I'm running marathons this oh yeah I didn't know I just saw <laughs> I saw a guy I went to elementary school with at his locker and he had on the track jersey he was like oh that's look cool you run track he was like yeah so I went and joined the team but we wasn't running track they was like running around the school five times and I'm like what like so yeah but <laughs> I didn't like I didn't like I didn't like it at all but I was in shape come basketball season when everybody was tired running their suicides I didn't have that problem you got that endurance yeah though. yeah I was in shape all right so you, you transitioned so you started in 96 so, so you graduated 2000 mm -hmm. so 2000 you ready to go to college well, what are you thinking there well, um, my dreams of going to North Northwestern were shattered. I talked to my counselor about that. She was like, I mean, I got a 24 on the ACT. I had a, a 2.9 grade point average. So I was a pretty, I was a decent student. Now, I ain't really proud of the 2.9, but, I mean, it is what it is. But I was eligible um, for a few schools, and I could remember I had a friend of mine whose sister went to Illinois State the year before us, and we had went and visited her. And, we just had a ball there, and so I had a. It was either between Illinois State and Northern if I failed math, cause I I was struggling in math. So, and you know how the colleges require three years of this, two years of this. So it's like if I pass math, I'm going to Illinois State. If I don't pass, I'm going to Northern or Jackson State. But I ended up passing. That was that was one of the few, the first times when I really realized that if you really put your mind to something, you could do it. Because I was kind of a joster in class, but I could remember like knowing that I needed to finish this hat last semester to go to Illinois State because that's where I really wanted to go. So I could remember really focusing, and I could remember the teacher kind of changing her attitude toward me when I asked, the, I asked the question, and I guess it showed that I was really paying attention. She was like, Ray, I'm so proud. I'm proud. I'm, I'm kind of shocked that you kind of here because I used to play around in class. A lot of times, especially in that one. Yeah, so. you one class where you feel like you know, yeah. <laughs> I, I need to do something to, to entertain myself. <laughs> yeah, I didn't really like the teacher. It's boring. 
So, but yeah, that was one of the first times I really realized that if you put your mind to something, you you gonna get it done. Yeah. So, so you ended up going to uh, Illinois State. Yeah. So what was, what was Illinois State like? Yeah. Well, let me remind you that I had this small radius area yeah, of yeah. places that I was able to go. Yeah, so your, it was too much. You had, your, you had your basketball court where you could go. Yeah. <laughs> but Illinois State, I met a lot of good friends there. I, I actually got another best, gained another best friend there too. So I consider myself two best friends. But um, my, I went to class. And I did well, but I could, but I ended up being academically dismissed from Illinois State. So that was, uh, when I look at Illinois State, that was what that did for me in my life because I could remember, because um, you know before you get dismissed, you get put on probation, and I got put on probation, and I could remember like just being young and dumb. Like I had an eight o'clock math class that I just said that that's gonna be my F. Like I'm not going no more. Like. That was so dumb, but I remember telling myself that like I'm not, I'm just not going to that so class you, no so more. So you think maybe I should just drop the course? <laughs> no, I didn't. I, yeah. <laughs> nah, I, so um, I ended up flunking out of Illinois State, and I could remember uh, calling them because I had got a letter saying that I was academically. And I was like, "Is there anything I could do?" And they were like, "Nah, you need to come get your stuff." On this date, between this date, it's gonna get thrown away, and I was like, "Y'all just gonna tell me that? Like, y'all not gonna?" No, it was just straightforward, nothing nice about it. And I could remember, on my way home, my brother and one of my good friends from high school went down there with me to help me move out, and I remember I was crying, but I was hiding it from them. You know, when you're riding with your friends, you kind of got the music up, y'all just chilling and enjoying the music. But I could remember like blocking my face and just crying and really having a conversation with myself like man you you a failure you fucking up like you going back home you going back to these rules you supposed to set your own rules and I, I it was a really strong conversation and that kind of really helped me to get focused so from there I went to Olive Harvey and I just got straight A's and I stayed there for a semester and went to Chicago State where I ended up finishing Okay, what did you get your degree in in Chicago State? Secondary English Education. All right, so I know a lot of people that go to action. I, I got my graduate degree from Chicago State. So oh, yeah? Yeah. So, man, what, what do you think of Chicago State? Cause I really liked it. Yeah. Um, I, I liked it a lot. Like, it was it was really affordable back then, too. I can remember it being affordable. I can remember all of the the people I met, like there was this time where me and my friends, we laugh at it, but it was like 12 o'clock and there would just be everybody getting out of class. It would be so many, so many college girls everywhere. Like we just had a good time yeah. on the campus at, at Chicago State. Yeah, it was like right out the little quad area where I had to get out of the fraternity know. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it was just, <laughs> just a good time at 12 o'clock. Yeah. Had, had a lot of good memories at, uh, I mean, Chicago I was, State. I remember when I was there, I used to always hear music. I was like, I know it was time for me because I, was, I worked there too. So oh, I was, yeah? yeah? Where at? I worked at uh, the College of uh, Health Sciences. I was uh, doing some stuff on the grant. Okay. Yeah, so I remember it was time for me. I used to always take my lunch at 12 because, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm, I watch TV a lot. So and I was like, that's what they do on TV. They take lunch at 12. So I was like, okay, we got lunch at 12. I always hear music. So I'm like, okay, it's 12 o'clock because I know they out there and they mm -hmm. playing music. Yeah. <laughs> That's when it would be so packed in. If 
No, nah, I ain't gonna even say that. <laughs> if, if you wanted to get a number, that would be the time to get one. You wanted to. It's the odds. You want to. Yeah. You know, do a little math, man. Yeah. It's like a hundred people. I just need one out of a hundred. Yeah, one good one. Uh, but also, just thinking about getting to Chicago State, it really shows like that. You know, there's a path for you if you stick to it. Because back at Olive Harvey. Um, I had, like I said, I had got straight A's. Like I was like, I'm gonna do all my homework. I'm gonna make sure I'm the best student they've ever seen. Like I remember telling myself that. And this, I guess this woman, one of my teachers, saw it, and she was like, uh, "There's this program for future teachers. I don't know if you want to be a future teacher. You don't even have to be, but you get a thousand dollars, and you just have to go to a class for two hours a day, four times a week for four weeks." So I went and started doing that, and I actually did that at Shoot, which was a school I ended up working at. And from there, I was like, I, I think I should be a teacher. And it wasn't always because I liked the kids. And I, I, don't, I hope that's not bad to say, but I could remember all people like in my neighborhood coming home with degrees and not finding jobs and being like, what? And I'm like, didn't you graduate? And they, they wouldn't have jobs. So my first thoughts of being a teacher were more so I could get a job. I know I'd get a job right away as a black man and I could get out of my mother's house so that's that's, that's really where that, yeah that was really where becoming a teacher came from like what kind of job could I get that I wouldn't that I could probably get right away because I'm seeing all these people come home and not being able to get jobs yeah. right. so you know you leave Chicago State I know doing my research because I'm a, a research journalist fake journalist Mm -hmm. uh, you, you're involved in Freedom School. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk about, talk about yeah, Freedom School, that uh, that was like during college and my begin, the beginning of my teaching career. Yeah. That was nice. Uh, uh, that, that best friend I mentioned, uh, his name is Brandon Corley. He has, he's actually a principal in New York City now. But uh, Hope to get him as a guest. Yeah. He, uh, he, he had a connection to a Freedom School and he just told me all about it and it just I just wanted to see it for myself so the next year he connected me with a group of pe uh, people from Chicago that was starting one and I ended up joining theirs it was on 95th and Ashland and from there uh, you know Brandon always has big goals so he wanted to bring an actual freedom school to Chicago and I could remember one day I went to this his house and he was like let's uh take this ride with me real quick not knowing that I was going to a church that would be the site of the Freedom School. He was like, you're going to be the site coordinator. And I just always was with it. And that was a really fun time in my life, too. That was where um, I met some really good friends that I'm still friends with to this day, too. Um, just for you all that don't know, Freedom School is a summer reading program through the Children's Defense Fund. And it's, it's um, a national program that's throughout the country They're doing a lot of good things. Yeah, there's an application process like uh like once Brandon solidified that place and then we applied for it, we had to talk about what we were gonna do. And so, I don't really know too much about the process other than we had to show that we could raise money to cover the cost of the program because the program is free 
to the students that you serve, to the community that you serve. So we had to raise some money with grants and fundraising, and we showed that ability, and we, we got it. And I'm really proud to say that the people, because, you know, at, at that time and still now, you know, Inglewood is considered, like, one of the worst communities in the country. And it was on 62nd and Sangamon, just so you all know the exact location. But I can remember the people from the the Freedom Schools office coming in to visit and coming to visit and being wowed by you know the participation of the scholars and how excited they were about reading. So how long were you involved with uh, Freedom School? Like five years. Five. It's been a while, but five years. So what do you what do you remember most about you know? Because you know, I assume it was every summer, right? The job mm -hmm. running. So what do you remember most about those summers? I remember most being really believing that I was getting ready to change something, like change that community. Like I feel like the like I think the um the, the stock market crashed or something crashed in oh eight. Yeah, and so that really burst. like kinda killed our funding. Um that killed all the momentum that we were building up into into that community. I really felt like we were changing that community. We had known all the kids. We we uh we developed partnerships with the school. The school was called Nicholson. Um, a lot of the kids we're still in contact with to this day. Still Facebook friends and still see them around and still have lunch with them sometimes. And it just was a really, I can't remember the, what, what was the question? Like, well, that, that's memory. Just, that's yeah, it was memory just, say. it's really where I learned. Um, it's kind of like I became a man during that because I was the site coordinator, which meant I was, it was executive director, project director, site coordinator. So I really felt responsible for making sure the program ran smoothly. And it really led me into my job as a teacher. Okay, so let's transition. Like, you, you graduated high school, you graduated college, sorry. You are becoming a teacher. So what was it like transitioning from, you know, having that, you know, I got that, I got this radius that I can't, I can't bounce off of to now being an adult and living on your own. Mm -hmm. what, was, what was that transition like? Well, it was, well, I, I actually, I grew a lot. I became a lot more mature, so I was just ready, ready to hit the ground running and change the world, so to speak. And I took a lot of those principles from Freedom School into my classroom. And actually, this past weekend, I saw some of the, the boys that were in that first class where I took that Freedom School stuff in. We still keep in touch, um, and they're like, they're not my sons, they're more like nephews, but um, it was, it made the transition to teaching really smooth. Okay, so speaking of like, you were, you were a teacher in the uh, Chicago public school system? I was. Yeah, so yeah. tell me what it's like, because I know growing up, I can, only, I can count on my hand how many black male teachers I had, so mm -hmm. what is it like going into what is really... You know, in Chicago, it's a, it's a black female dominated mm -hmm. uh, field. Yeah. Field. Yeah. I feel like, um, man, it's, I, I love it. Like, I, I really try my best to treat the kids like they're my own. I feel like I'm one of them. Um, I really just go out of my way to really be the best teacher, getting the best experience that they can have. That's why I really like teaching freshmen because. I'm their first English teacher, so I'll, I'll always be the one that sets the bar. Like, I'm really big on setting the bar. 
just in any situation I'm in, if somebody asks for, does anybody want to go first? Like, it's me. Like, I, I want to go first. I'm going to get it over with. I'm going to set the bar. I'm going to either be the best, I'm going to be bad, but I'm still going to set the bar. And I just like being that for students. And I see them all the time. Like, man, I, he was the best teacher I ever had. No. It's just really good. Uh, one thing, one interesting thing I wanted to talk about was that it took me uh, uh, like five interviews to get my first job. Like I was a really raw, raw person. And the reason why I even chose to go into teaching was because during, also during my college years before Freedom School came, I worked at a bank and I just really didn't like the corporate atmosphere. And so I was like, I'm, I want to be in a, involved in a field where I could be myself. And I really took that to heart. So I would go to interviews, and I probably didn't speak the best. I probably didn't dress the best. But um, so it took me a while to, and it really had me reflecting on myself as a person. Like, what? why aren't they accepting me? Like, I, I'm thinking I'm answering everything right. You know, nobody gave me any feedback. I even, I even interviewed for that black male teacher uh, he was at Austin at the time. I interviewed with him, and he just kind of gave me an ask, like, yeah, we just picked somebody with more experience. But I really wanted some results. I mean, not some results, some feedback um, on how I was performing because I really I really wanted to get a, a teaching job. And it was just hard because nobody ever really gave me feedback. I would call and ask, and nobody would ever respond. So... I just remember getting my shot and remember, remember, like it was a point where I had an interview at John Hope and I just remember like I'm not passing, I'm not losing this one. And I got it. Okay, so John Hope was your first, uh, was the yeah. first school you went out to? Well actually, let me, let me backtrack. So I graduated in December of the school year. So okay. I subbed at Hirsch for a while and then I found a job at DuSable mm -hmm. from April to June. But I just, I didn't really like it there. I didn't feel comfortable there. And so I can remember going to this CPS job fair and I saw DuSable there. And the, and the principal was like, oh, wow, Mr. Smith, you here? You can help me recruit some teachers to come to our school. And I was like, I'm here to get another job. <laughs> You didn't have that, that magic Johnson. I'm, I'm not gonna be here. <laughs> yeah, I said, I'm, I'm here to get another job. Like I didn't, cause I really believe in being straight up with people. Is that time? Nah, that was, uh, that was just my cell phone. I remember being straight up, like just always. I like people to be straight up with me, so I, I'm straight up with you. Yeah. So I was like, I'm here to get another job. I'm, I'm, I'm out here looking, and she was like, Oh, oh, well, good luck. And mm. the, I, I met John Hope there, and the rest is history. So what was your first year like at John Hope? You're, you know, basically a freshman teacher. Mm -hmm. So what was it like at John Hope? You know, you know, you had a couple of months, you know, subbing or whatever. Yeah. But this is this is your class. This is your curriculum. Yeah, it like, was it, it was it was great. Like I, I'm still I don't know what it is about me or if that's just how it is, but just everywhere I go, I meet really good people that I always stay in contact with, and it was the same there. Um, the the principal was a black male, uh, and he really targeted black males to come to that school. John Hope was on 55th and Low, and so it was a nice community of teachers, and they really they really looked after me. They really helped me. They really one thing I say about there is they let me make my mistakes, which led me to become the best teacher I could be. Because I don't see 
a lot of schools allowing their new teachers to make mistakes and just kind of throwing throwing them to the wolves like they kind of sitting there with their evaluations but I could remember like never really feeling that pressure of an evaluation like he really gave me a chance to try try new things yeah I just had to look up John Hope to make sure it wasn't a part of those school closings no, it, uh, yes, it, it is getting phased out, though. Like, there's a charter school that has taken over yeah. uh, the school since yeah. then. Yeah, so so what do you think about, like, that whole, like, public versus charter school debate? Um, I believe the idea of charter schools is good, but I don't, I'm not sure that they're really serving the students as they intend to, um, just because it's, it's kind of like a business, and I don't think business and education are a good mix because kind of uh, the the real purpose there is the children, not the money. And I think that charter schools probably lose sight of that. So, and I just, I'm just a big believer in public schools versus the charter school. I'm not, I'm not knocking charter schools. I've just never seen one, never been inside of one that actually ran the model as it's intended to. It just looks like they're after money. I remember when I was when I was an undergrad, I was in um, a political science class, and my, uh, the professor said that uh, he said something about schools and that schools need to compete. And that was when I was like, why do schools need to compete? Shouldn't they just want to educate everyone to their best yeah. ability? That's exactly. when, that's kind of when I decided. I'm like, I can't be in politics if that's what they, uh, this is the message they're giving us. Yeah, because why should these students from this particular community that? Why should they get any less of an education? It's like, um, I don't know. So, I have a lot of views on education. <laughs> all right, yeah. all right. So, you, you, were, you were a teacher. You, you're still a teacher. You mm -hmm. moved around. Uh, were you in, were you in uh, CPS when they, when they implemented uh, school clothes? Yeah, I was, I was actually a part of a school that okay. was um, involved in that. Uh, that was when I was working at Shoop. That that area was really targeted. Like I, I've been to school closing meetings, and by the grace of God, we didn't close. And that was another place where I really built some good relationships and friendships. And we actually turned that school around. When I first got there, I had the class from hell. I I, I had got there in the middle of the year because I actually quit a, a a job at a charter school. Like I just couldn't take it anymore. I'm not gonna bash them, but I ended up quitting the charter school. It was in um, I quit like November, and I said I'll I'll remain here to the end of the semester to help you all find my replacement and to give you all time. And I could remember like sending out my resume a bunch of times, and I ended up at Shoop. That was the only place that hit back because it was the middle of the year. But I did get the class from hell, and I survived that. And that school ended up turning into a level one school. So I really got to be a part of a, t a turnaround. But when I first got there, that was when the, the school closing things was going on. And I went to those meetings and I don't know how shoot ended up not, or I'm glad they didn't end up closing. I don't know how they chose, but shoot wasn't one of those schools. Yeah, because I remember then, I'm I was working for a nonprofit, and they were doing like social service. So they would go to schools that were undesignated as closing, mm -hmm. and send our uh, social workers there. And they would have like puppets to go to the students to act out how they feel about oh, school yeah? closing. 
Yeah, that was a, that was what, a what was that like? Um, like from, from, from the social service standpoint, like the kids were, uh, they were kind of like, they didn't, it was this confusing time. Like you, you, a lot of kids were like six, seven grade. They're like, I know, I've been in this school since I was five years old. Yeah. And now I got to go somewhere and meet a whole new group of people, go to mm-hmm. a new neighborhood. Then they, I already built these friendships. So are my, are my friends going with me or, you know? Yeah. I still wonder, I still don't get why, because it's a school I'm thinking about now, um, West Pullman, I believe, was closed, but it's just sitting there now, so I wonder what was the plan, what was the real big plan with the school closings, because some of the schools just closed and nothing ever came of the school. I know certain schools that near, like, you know, like gentrifying areas, Mm -hmm. they turning those schools into, like, lofts. Oh, so yeah. like people like where I'm going and you know, yeah, I got my eighth grade diploma. You know, somebody's throwing like a, a three hundred dollar wine party. Oh, so oh yeah, that's yeah, crazy <laughs> what they doing with the land. Yeah, but I guess it's all part of a plan. <laughs> yes, it's like how do you how do you make your mark on the world and avoid these plans? Like that's kind of a. Uh, I've been listening a lot to Boyce Watkins lately. You familiar with him? Yeah. But he he just said something, and the latest thing I listened to that really kind of hit home. He said, in order to really win in this game, you got to remove yourself from the game. You'll never really win. You'll never really win trying to win in their system. So find a way to just remove yourself. So that's just really something that I'm kind of still processing and Thinking about how I'm gonna apply that, cause that it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna think of that too, cause I'm in like higher ed now, so uh, I, I, don't, I don't know about having to navigate this and like billions of dollars, and I'm just one person, so yeah, yeah. yeah. But speaking of like uh, doing your own thing, let's talk about uh, righteous Ray Ray. Where did righteous, righteous Ray Ray? Where did righteous Ray Ray come from? Uh, righteous Ray Ray. Uh, I always had ideas to write books um like i said earlier i always like to read i've been reading since since before i can remember reading before i went to school and so just my love of reading and realizing the importance of it kind of made me want to write books but also i can remember my my first year teaching at john hope there was this young lady that didn't know how to read and i was just really like when you're in college you just kind of taught how to be a teacher but no one ever really tells you about the kids like you just the way you're taught you would think the kids are just like teaching me I'm ready to learn but I can remember like the first day of school these kids didn't have paper and pens and I'm like what my first day of teaching and um but it was this young lady that couldn't read and I really touched my heart because it's it was really striking to me because I didn't get it like Mrs. Smith I don't see the answer on this page. So I'm like, oh, go to page 17. Read page 17. That's your final answer. Seven minutes later, Miss Smith, I read it. I don't see it. Uh, go to this paragraph on page 17. Uh, two minutes later, Miss Smith, I don't see it. Go to this sentence. It's in this sentence. And she was like, I, I still don't see it. And I was like, oh shit, she she just can't read. And that really like just made me. That that inspired me to go get my master's in reading. That's what I got a master's in, um, and that just made me think about like what's how did this happen, and one of the 
solutions I came up with was that um, black children don't see themselves in the books that they're reading because the characters don't reflect them. So it's like, let me create a character that could reflect black children and maybe do something about this, this reading gap. Because reading is very important. Like, you know, uh, during slavery, if you got caught with a book, you got beat. So there's something to this literacy thing. And I just, I'm, I'm just a living example of it and how, how reading could change your mind and your way of thinking. So I just want to give that to other kids. Okay, so how do, how do you formulate your uh, story? So I know, you know, the first one was Righteous Ray has a bad day. So how did you, like, formulate that story? I don't know how far you want to go. Want me to go back with it, but that was the time for. I wrote "Righteous Ray Ray Has a Bad Day" in the in the library of Hirsch High School. I could. I one day I was subbing there. Like I said, I subbed there, and the office clerk was like, "Hey, you showed up. I, I meant to tell you. I meant to call you and tell you that the teacher showed up. Though they made it. She had the car broke down, but she made it. So she was like, so you've." I don't have anything for you to do, but you can't leave the building if you want to get paid. So I was like, no, nah, I want to get paid. So I went to the library. I read every Chicago Sun-Times, the Tribune, the Defender. I read Ebony, Jet, Slam. I read a bunch of stuff. And it was I remember looking at the clock, and it was 9.47. And I was like, man, I got to sit here at 3 o'clock. So I was like, oh, let me write that book that I had an idea for. So how I started my first book, Righteous Rory has a bad day. I just kind of take the issue that I see in society and try to write a book based on that. So I feel like a lot of people just don't see the good in things. And I, I've kind of taught myself to see the positivity in everything. And I think that's just a, a really um, prolific way to live. Like if you are able to see the beauty in everything instead of seeing what's what seeing what is instead of what isn't. And that's just an early example for children to start thinking positive because positive thoughts turn into positive actions, which turn into like change and you just seeing things happen for you. So that's kind of how that book came about. I just, I just, just me being in the classroom, like the students don't think a lot of themselves. You know, they come from broken homes. They aren't encouraged a lot. So that was really to them to see that you are and you can okay so um I, I know that i'm seeing with all your books you got righteous ray ray meets a bully righteous ray ray gets a visit from daddy so these are very like heavy issues like absentee fatherhood bullying so mm -hmm. what made you want to attack use these issues to you know to, uh, tell something to our children um maybe want to use I'm just a, uh, a really optimistic person and like as far as like I just want children to know that they aren't alone and Righteous Rory is that character that they can relate to in his cast of friends to just let them know that they aren't alone like when because I come from a single parent home and there was I don't, I don't know if it was my mother or just the time or everybody's mother from a single parent home, but I didn't really get a lot of answers on where my father was or what he was doing. So I didn't really know how to deal with that other than I'm just, I just thank God I had a brother and we kind of talked about it and we was like, well, I ain't never going to have a, my kids look at me, how I look at him and things like that. And so it's really just as something 
just to give you an example of if you're dealing with this, this is how you can deal with it. Because uh, it seems like it's really hard being a child these days. And a lot of children are growing up with a lot of issues and they aren't being, they aren't being attended to. So the issues, the main issues that I see with the children are what I uh, try to write about. Because I know it's a lot of kids out there without a father. I know it's a lot of kids out there that the Righteous Rarity Meets a Bully is actually about, it was really started off about making friends, like how you go about making friends. But with bullying being so hot of a, a, a topic, I decided to um, write about that. Um, Righteous Rarity Gets a Job is just, just wanted to remind them that this ways. Well, it's not Righteous Rarity Gets a Job, it's Righteous Rarity Stays Home from School. But it's about how you can make money in your own community. Because I, I was one of those kids that really wanted to help out and get things. And that's how I got it. By going door to door and shoveling snow, raking leaves, cutting grass, picking up paper. Alright, so your, your illustrator is uh, Alan Davis. So how did Alan this collaboration, Davis. you and Alan, come about? Uh, Alan, um... Back when I was at Illinois State, we used to travel to U of I, and I met Alan during one of those travels to U of I. He was the friend of some friends, and we just always stayed in touch. Like, I used to see him a lot, and when I came, when I got to this idea, I went through, like, about four or five illustrators, and I could remember having a conversation with my best friend's sister, and she was like, you know, Alan could draw. And I was like, oh, yeah? Because I was telling her just about my plight, finding an uh, illustrator to really embody what I'm trying to get done. And so we met, and it's just been magic from there. He, we really developed a nice working relationship, um, and he kind of really understands what I'm looking for now. Because that was back in 2012 when we did our first book. So um, that was how I found him. But it was, it was a long time finding an illustrator. Like, whatever your process is, whatever you're working on you have to be prepared for obstacles and that's one example of obstacles and you know if people aren't working up to your standards you have to say it or risk losing the essence of your work so I, I'm glad that I found him to because it was just perfect it's like uh, yeah. Stephen, Stephen Clay yeah the website www.righteousrayray.com you can see a little quick blurb about the book each book you can see a blurb about me uh, I think my Instagram is linked to it also my Instagram is righteous underscore Ray Ray uh, follow me I definitely follow you back but that's where um, I sell a lot of my books or you can send me a DM and I'll if you're in the Chicago area, I love to drop it off to you or send. It. Yeah, and you uh, you can there's a there's a deal for buying all five books on the website. Look at it now. I'm about to add this to my cart. Oh. See for my future children. Oh. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. All, right, all right, all right. So what what does the future hold for you? What does the future hold? Well, right now I'm working on. Well, I had a a child. I have a I have a young boy. He's almost two, and um. So now I'm really trying to think about my legacy and what I'm going to leave behind. So that led me to start the uh, car detailing company. I've always kept my car nice and clean. People get in it, they're like, Ray, what you doing with your car? It's real nice. So I just want to give other people that feeling. So I started uh, Ocean Views Auto Spa. 
and that's where we pull up. Anybody that's listening, if you hit me up, then the next 24 hours I'll give you a deal on that. But uh, right now I'm on that. Right now um, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do in this education field. And I just feel like the sky's the limit. I don't know. Like one person that has really inspired me in the last year, maybe two, um, Nipsey Hussle. That's why I call it Ocean Views. He has a song called Ocean Views. But I'm really trying to find a way to use all of my talents. So that's kind of what's next. All right, that's beautiful. Marathon continues. Go to RighteousRayRay.com. Righteous underscore RayRay on Instagram. You mm-hmm. know, send them a DM. Uh, you want to get the book or you can get the deal on the website. It's all good. So usually for the second part of the uh, podcast, I let the guests choose a topic, whatever they want to talk about, and we can discuss that. And we, then we just ride out. So choose anything you want to talk about. Anything, um. anything in the world. Give me a second to think about that. That's something I want to talk about. Um, with you, or just talk? It's whatever. Um, if you could talk to any dead person, who would you talk to? If I could talk to... Me and a friend were having this conversation. If I could talk to any dead person, I'm not, I'm trying not to choose. I'm not going to choose a... Uh, Malcolm X. <laughs> I'm not, no, yeah, I'm not going to do, do that, something like that. And I'm not going to choose a, a friend because I already know, you know, we just going to talk about our friendship. So I'm going to choose somebody I don't know. Uh-huh. Um, I, I, I would love to have a conversation with John Coltrane. John Coltrane? Yeah, okay. I think this, his whole, like, life and... The way, way he thought, the fact that he that they made him, and I forgot what church it was, they made him a saint. Oh, yeah? Yeah, Saint John Coltrane. Oh. And there's some church in uh, San Francisco, so you know how San Francisco is. They, history of weirdness. Yeah. But it, it's, it's something about his music that always that touches to me. I always want to know. like, And they said, like, when he would be with uh, Miles Davis' band, Miles Davis would get mad. He was like, you're doing these two, three-hour solos. And John Coltrane was like, I, I didn't know where to end it. So uh, he just kept going. <laughs> so I oh, think that'd be a good conversation. Something to look into. I, I, I think I have some of his music. I just never listened to it. Yeah. What is it? Like, is it just sounds? Or is he singing? Or? No, he's, he's, he's a... Uh, Coltrane's a saxophone player. So his, just, his sounds are just, just amazing. It's, it's a song. It's a song that he had on... Uh, it's called Alabama, which is about, you know, just the bombings in, uh, in Alabama in the 60s and the, the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. And when I hear that, uh, that reminds me of uh, just, it, it, it perfectly encapsulates the time. And I think Spike Lee used that in, uh, used that in the montage in, in Malcolm X when he was watching okay. the Civil Rights Movement. That was Alabama playing. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, cool. So, yeah. so yeah. Who, who, dead or alive, dead, that you were with? You dead? <laughs> yeah. Um. It would probably either be Bruce Lee or Prince. Okay. Bruce uh, Lee or Prince. Okay. Well, okay. Let's let's start, <laughs> let's, let's start with Prince first. It Bruce Lee. Well, Prince. I don't know. Prince just intrigues me. I I didn't honestly. I don't know if this is blasphemy, but I I never really saw what was really special about Prince's music. Oh, I've man, never get, seen. Get out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've no. never seen Purple Rain. Oh, but I've never seen Purple Rain. I know. And I will. That's what a friend of mine said, cause that's what he said. But um, as I start to think about him, he was just a pioneer 
of his own creativity and being himself. And I just would like to have a conversation with him about it. Just because to do all of the stuff that Prince was doing, you had to have this confidence about yourself. And I just admire just how people exude confidence. And he's one of those people that come to mind. Yeah. Yeah. Because you, well, you're in the right household. This is this is a, a Prince household. Oh yeah. Uh, we're we're at my mother's house because I'm visiting for <laughs> the summer before I go back to uh, teaching at university. Uh, it's nothing but Prince photos. In so fact, what's so, so special about Prince? Thing, can you can you sum it up? What's so special about Prince? Uh, <laughs> it's, it's with what he does with words. His 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 lyrics and what they mean. It, it's something. It's something in like he encapsulates bringing religion, like sex, love, all those things together. And it's just and like you said. It's the confidence. It's like this is a man who's barely five feet, but acts like he's seven eight. Yeah, high heel boots. Yeah. 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 And, 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 and I gotta say this: Prince is a top five all-time guitar player. Oh yeah. And the fact that he doesn't know how to read music, he didn't know how to read music. Is even better. He played yeah, everything just, by ear. Just born with it. Yeah, and he played like twenty different instruments too. So. Uh, yeah. Right. So he's somebody I'm definitely studying his life, studying his yeah. moves because it appears that his mind was ahead of his time too. Not only with the instrument playing, but just how he set up his business yeah. and everything. So that's I just admire that. He taught, I mean, yeah, he taught people just own own your shit, basically. Mm -hmm. Like if you created it, it's yours. Don't let anybody. But how how would you have the the knowledge to yeah, do that instead of these people telling you all these selling you all these dreams and you just give them to them? Because I see how easily yeah. people kind of hand that stuff over. And yeah, I think that's what made him so great. He was just like, nah, nah, this is this is mine. Mm -hmm. this, 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 I own this. All right, so okay. Bruce Lee. I got, I got to know. Bruce Lee, that was kind of left field for me. What? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Bruce Lee. I don't know. Like, you know, like, really it started from, you know, Kobe has this colorway, Bruce Lee colorway in his yeah. shoes. And I, I like, I work out and play ball in Kobe's shoes. And I just always, like, kind of admire Bruce Lee from afar. I never really studied him. But he just seems like a fearless person. Just seemed fearless in this there's this this mystique surrounding him and Prince that just makes them like one of a kind. Like, and I kind of want want to have that kind of mystique too. So I admire that. So I just like to sit and have a conversation with him, just like how we're having. He just seems like a fearless person. That he was kind of a pioneer in his own right as well, just like how you mentioned Prince. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I first. I didn't study Bruce started like looking at old Bruce Lee movies till I saw The Last Dragon. And then I was just like, okay, why was this why was Bruce Lee Roy so wow. interested in Bruce Lee? <laughs> yeah. And um, one interesting fact about Bruce Lee that I learned was that he didn't eat a lot of his food. He blended it and drank it because it digested better. Because when you look at his physique, you know, he didn't, he probably had 0.5 body fat. I don't think he ever ate a carbon in his life. Right, exactly. <laughs> so. Just seeing, just the thoughts of his discipline to be who he was, I just admire that. Alright, it's dope. Alright, so I'm 
last movie you saw, and last song you listened to? Last book I read is called The Power of Concentration. You want me to talk about it? Yeah, I just grabbed it in frontline books because, like I said, I have a child now. I actually have two children, and my girlfriend moved in with me, so it's really hard to get all of this stuff done that I'm talking about and concentrate on it. Because by the time the end of the day comes, you know, you didn't have dinner with your family, you didn't play with your kids, you're just tired. So I wrote past this book called The Power of Concentration, and just really, um, I don't remember the author's name. But one of the main things I remember was that stop trying to multitask. Like, whatever you're doing, do that with 100% effort, then go to the next thing. And it's been really helping. Like, it even gives you exercises of how to practice your concentration. Like, it'll say, you can't go to sleep, place a glass of water by your bed and just stare at it. And picture yourself being that. It's like, kind of like meditation strategies, but they've really, it's really been eye-opening. What was, the, um, what was the last movie you watched? Last movie I watched, uh, it was something on Netflix. It was it was terrible to me. <laughs> it was called like Black, Black and something. Oh, they they usually terrible. <laughs> but yeah, I actually watched the Forty Year Old Virgin last night while uh -oh. I was <laughs> uh -oh. while I was working and uh, yeah, uh -huh. so that movie brought back a lot of memories, funny uh -huh. memories. Yeah, I I, I use that. Uh, show students the proper way to uh, handle uh, arguments. Oh, yeah? Yeah, the uh, Kevin Hart, uh, Chris Rock scene. I'm, uh, Kevin Hart, uh, yeah. Romo Malaco scene. Where yeah. He, uh, in the store. He's like, I need you to be my nigga. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. was the last movie I saw. That was last night. And I don't really watch movies. Hello. Um, And the last song was... Young Nigga by Nipsey Hussle. That's my one of my probably my favorite song. I know the title sounds bad, but listen to it is just really uplifting and inspiring. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um. Uh, thank everybody for listening. Oh, before I go, I got I got, I usually don't talk about what I did, but the last movie I saw that I think everybody should go see is called The Last Black Man in San Francisco, and it's about uh, basically a black man in San Francisco. And it talks about gentrification, how like the black population there is just getting priced out, oh. and like the terrible homeless homelessness problem. But you got million dollar homes, like people buying old homes for like four million dollars, mm. and like the median house sale is like a, a million five in the city, mm. and people making six figures qualifying for food stamps. So it's. It's a great movie. It uh, stars uh, Danny Glover's in it. Uh, Tashina Arnold's in it. Mike Epps has a very funny cameo as a homeless person living in an old Chevy. Is it on Netflix? <laughs> nah, it's, it's in the theaters. It's, not, it's probably not going to be. It's probably going to be out of theaters soon because it's. It's the thing. I went to the Arc uh, Light Cinema in Lincoln Park. That's the only place in Chicago that's showing it, and they only show it once a day at 12:50. Well, it's up for today. They show it at 1250, 345, and 730. I'm going to check it out. Yeah. So, yeah. Does, does 1250 to, tomorrow? Yeah. Playing? 1250 at Arc Light Cinema in Lincoln Park, right off the uh, Clyborne uh, Red Line stop. So, that's why. Can you say that cinema one more time? Uh, it's the Arc. I think it's the Arc of Lights. Let me show Let me show I'm saying it right. Uh, all right. Arc Light uh, Theater in Chicago. In Chicago. It's on... Uh, 
For all my Chicago listeners on 1500 North Claiborne. Put that down. Yeah, the thing I'm mad about, I went to that theater. They only showing that one time, but they showing like eight showings of the Lion King. <laughs> and that, that's just in standard. They, they showing like five more in 3D. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and when I went to see it, because I saw it, I was the only person in the theater by oh, myself. Yeah. It, was, it, it, was, it was great. I like it. How'd you hear about that? Like, what made you want to go see that? Because uh, I haven't, I've never heard of it. I, 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 well, because I follow Danny Lover on Twitter because I met him <laughs> at a, uh, I met him at a, a Black Studies conference in uh, March. And we okay. were talking about a, a, another movie that he did back in 1990, which is called To Sleep With Anger, where mm -hmm. he plays a villain. And that was, the, that was the only time I saw Danny Lover playing a villain. Yeah. He was, that's probably the best acting job he ever did. So it's, it's to sleep with, it's on Amazon, if you have Amazon Prime, you can see it. It's, okay. it's free on Amazon To Prime. sleep with anger. To sleep with anger. Was he a, how was he a villain? With his, uh, with he, his woman? He, he, nah, he came into a family's life. It was like a middle class family in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. He came and he put like a, a voodoo spell over the house and turned it upside down. Oh. So it's, it's, it's wild. What was he, was he the main character in The Last Black Man in San Francisco? No, nah, he, 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 he played this, uh, he played the father of one of the main characters. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm going to try to go see that. I ain't really trying to sit in traffic all day. Yeah. But. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the down part because I saw it at 12.50 then I came home. And you know that if you if you heading south on the uh, yeah, damn man. ride at the 3 o'clock. Oh, my man. God. Man. Because <laughs> yeah, you, you got to pass downtown. Yeah. So you <laughs> You're getting angry. Yeah. <laughs> so if you go there, man, I'll just take the red line. Just get off on Cloudborn. Just park your car like on. Cause I, I did that. I just parked my car like. Can you drive somewhere? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and just took the took the red line. How long that take? Huh? Oh, yeah. the right man got me that from uh from thirty fifth. It only took me like twenty minutes. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, everybody, once again, thank you for listening. I like to thank my guest Raymond Smith for uh sitting in with me. And. Uh, you can catch this podcast, you can catch it on the SoundCloud link, Something for the People. You can catch it on Spotify, Something for the People. That's all one word, Something for the People. Mm -hmm. Run together like Music Soul Child. And on Apple Podcast, mm -hmm. Something for the People. Run together like Music Soul Child. Thanks again. Oh, cool. All right, Thanks so, for having me. All right, everybody, remember, be good and drink your water. Right now, motherfucker, let's go. Yeah, what could make a nigga wanna go and get it? Said he wanna pay me with the subs in it. Said he grew up in a house and it was love missing. Said he grew up in the city, keep his gun with him. Young nigga, young nigga, young, young nigga. And he don't need a reason, he a young nigga. And y'all want your daughter and your sons with him. Young, young nigga, young, young nigga. Probably never understand him. Till he pull up in the Phantom don't stop, don't stop. When he pull up in the Phantom He gon' have that shit blasted That's right. Like young nigga, just young nigga Young nigga, just young nigga What they call you, where you from?